Thursday, Sandos and the sidekick getting you set for what is the home opener of ETSU football. It's ETSU versus UVA Wise. And UVA Wise coming in off a 54-0 victory against the Virginia University of Lynchburg. And, of course, that is a Division three school, so they played uh, down but did destroy. And thoroughly, we'll get into that in just a second, thoroughly uh, destroyed their opponent. So they'll be coming in with a lot of confidence and certainly – they're going to use, I'm sure, what ETSU did at Vanderbilt is a lot of motivation of what can happen if you show up and uh, play and the other team uh, is not particularly ready to play or ready to go. Jay Santos, Mike Gallagher, exciting show. What else we got? Mystery Guest Summer Series and Ooh. the win that keeps on giving from last Saturday. We had to bump more new segments. You know, you and me are sitting on these, what we think, of course, and we're obviously very biased, but brilliant segments that will someday unveil. But we can't do it yet because if – you look at how things are going in ETSU athletics right now, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. And we want to revel and bask in that glory because we have been here, and you have been here obviously many more years than me, but we've both been here where years haven't started out as well, and we have to fill with a bunch of segments that we make up and are just kind of BS. But this year that's not the case. And so the one that keeps on giving, next segment then. Mystery Guest Summer Series and, of course, Bold Predictions. Both of us looking to get on the board. Bold Predictions, which, which is funny. We were uh, – Good last week, but not not particularly great. In the wrong ways, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, it was. uh, We knew it was coming. Yeah, I knew ETSU was going to win some games by more than one score. I just uh, (laughs) had just you know blurted out it would be SoCon only because I figured, you know, if you beat UVA Wise, probably not going to give me that one. And I was like, I don't. So maybe if I just stuck with that, but yeah, no, I I pigeonholed myself quite a bit. did myself no favors by just saying a one-score win for one of the two teams. Apparently, ETSU may have heard that and took that into motivation. We also, in the win that keeps on giving, will have, I think, something a little bit embarrassing for myself. So, for a lot of listeners, I'm sure that's reason enough to stick around. Well, let's talk a little bit about this UVA Wise game coming up. I I think the first thing, and um, I know we got sound from Coach Sanders. We're going to hear in just a second. But I think the first thing, and somebody sent me this, and I've used it, you know, pretty much all day yesterday, and we'll use it here, but somebody just just basically conjugated Vandy and just was like, hey, um, you know, we, we can't get Vandied. And, and, and I think that's the perfect term to, to what it is. And, you know, Vandy didn't really, I think, take each issue seriously. I think Clark Lee has basically come out and said that. More on that in a second segment. But I think that was a team that Vandy, we went over last podcast, you know, just was trying to find itself the new coaching, trying to do whatever. This is a different team, UVA Wise. UVA Wise, obviously, is not going to be as talented as Vanderbilt. But they have at least played in the same system for six years. They do know what's going on. They do know what plays are running. 
they there is some continuity. They got a lot of players back running the same system. So again, when I say they're going to be a little bit better prepared than Vandy, again, that's not to say that Vanderbilt wouldn't beat UVA wise or anything crazy like that. I'm just saying when UVA wise comes out and they have their first several plays scripted, it's something they have ran over and over and over again. And the one thing you can't prepare for when you play a team that really wants to go super speed, and the same thing when ETSU plays Sanford, is the simple fact of you can try to mimic speed things in practice, but your scout team doesn't know everything that fast. They can't snap the ball that fast. They're running the plays, and you may try to have maybe scout team A run a play and scout team B run back on the ball, but it's still not the same exact thing. And what UVA Wise tries to do is basically try to confuse everybody. Coach Sanders had his thoughts on ETS Radio Coach's show last night, 6 p.m. every Wednesday live from Wildwood Cafe all across the Buccaneer Sports Network. Brought a lot of pressure. They, they had no um, no reservations about bringing pressure against uh, Lynchburg. Lynchburg tried to spread it out, really, really struggled blocking them. Quarterback, gosh, they could have had 25 sacks. He did, a, he did an unbelievable job running around, avoiding pressure, getting rid of the ball, making some plays, scrambling, things like that to, to survive. You know, UVA ones are very aggressive on defense. They get up in your face uh, outside. They have an extra guy usually somewhere around the ball to try to play the run game with, and they force you to execute. That's on the defensive side of the ball, Coach Sanders talking about. Didn't have 25 sacks, but they did have 13, Jay Sandos. That is quite the amount. Some teams go the entire collegiate season without getting 13 sacks, but brought pressure, obviously, against specifically a Division three team that is going to not be as talented, as big, as athletic. I think one of the things that makes a ton of sense is just throwing them off of what they want to do, right? And that's why in a game like what is coming up this Saturday at William B. Green Jr. Stadium, you know, I worry a little bit. I think you should every week, and I think the way to not do it, as you said, get bandied, is to just look past your opponent and say, well, they're Division two doesn't really matter. Or, or in Vandy's case, oh, they're FCS. Well, uh, we think they're just going to lay down for us. That doesn't work. So the fact that Coach Sanders is paying as much attention to UVA-wise as he is and that we're trying to do the same, because uh, I think media matters too, um, and I think that that was shown during that Vandy week. Uh, long story short, you have to make sure that you are staying within yourself, countering what they do, because they do create a little bit of chaos. They do bring pressure, and that can force teams that are not composed, focused, into mistakes. Obviously, that was the case with Virginia Lynchburg. They're not going to just sit back and let you do what you want to do. When you rush a Division three like that, you're already that much better in every way. Obviously, went well for them. When you do it against an FCS team, you're hoping to hit the home run. Um, you're hoping to get that 99-yard interception return that hopefully isn't wiped off the board. You're hoping to get that scoop and score that seals the game. They are exactly, as you said, hoping to vandy the Buccaneers this week, and one of the ways I think they can do it is on the defensive side of the ball with that pressure if it does get to Tyler Rydell, the quarterback. Yeah, I think that's the – at least it was in that game, that was the MO. 13 sacks, 15 tackles for a loss. I mean, you just talk about all the negative yardage plays and certainly – you know, how you can make up for maybe not being as big as physical in the secondary and some other things is just basically bring the house and, and see what happened. And we saw a lot of teams do that with the rebirth of ETSU football, that a lot of those uh, schools, the, the lower division schools, would basically just bring six or seven and just pray that they could, you know, guard a wide receiver for a second and a half, two seconds, and not get beat one-on-one. And sometimes ETSU was taken advantage of, sometimes not. I think UVA-wise is um, – if you look at their D line, I mean, they got a couple kids weighing, you know, over 300 pounds, 306, 309 at the D tackles. Now, the D ends are just 
fast. I mean, they are 6'1", 220. Uh, I think one guy's 195. I mean, they basically try to uh, get you with speed. And so for ETSU, I think they have to be prepared for that. And just like I think what we'll see from Wise offensively, where they're going to chunk it around and play fast, try to confuse you, I think same thing with the defense. They're going to bring blitzes from different places, going to do whatever. They're going to try to confuse as much as possible. Speaking of the offense, I saw a team that went fast. I saw a team that had a bunch of guys uh, running wide open. I saw a quarterback that did a good job of moving around when they did have pressure. And the thing he did was most of the time he hit what he threw at. And they did a good job of catching the ball. You know, so they, they do a good job of throwing it and catching it. That, that's one thing they do. Secondary is going to have to do a good job. Our linebackers are going to have to do a good job. So it's, it's going to take a defensive team effort, and we can't have the mental lapses where we don't get lined up, we turn somebody loose, we bust the coverage, things like that. Because they're, they're good enough uh, at quarterback, good enough at wide receiver to take advantage if you give them those opportunities and score. They think that this is the best wide receiving core that they have had in the six years of Dane Dameron at the helm. And Lendon Redwine, six touchdowns with 326 yards last week. Pretty merciless from that coaching staff going out there and putting 54 on the board against Division Three Virginia Lynchburg. But Redwine setting a uh, NCAA, quote-unquote, NCAA record for this program in terms of passing touchdowns. They were NAIA for a long time. And uh, over the last uh, almost decade have been NCAA, but six passing touchdowns. And with the receiving core that, again, they think is special now, from what I understand, they are going to be without uh, one or two of their top targets. So that will hinder them a little bit. But uh, nothing was hindered last week. And, and, of course, this is, I think, the nice thing for ETSU. Their strength is in the secondary, Puzzy, DeLince, Robinson, Price. We can go over it time and time again. There's depth. Sheldon Arnold had an interception against um, Vanderbilt. So there's a lot of different guys that the Bucks can go to, but uh, they can also rely on that top four. So I always like to see a team that comes in and their strength is passing against this group for ETSU because that plays right in the Bucks' hands. Yeah, and I think they they done a nice job of uh, mixing some transfers at, at that level, as you'd imagine, and getting some high school homegrown. But the transfer guy that I think you have to watch out for is, is Devin Hextall. Transfer from Utah State, 6'6", 190, five catches, 116 yards, a couple of scores. Uh, and then they had a, just a sort of homegrown uh, Virginia kid and J.J. McNeil the third, with the Washington and Lee High Schools, played every year at uh, UVA-wise. And, you know, he had a couple of touchdown catches as well. Red Wine, we've, you mentioned it, local product. Dobbins been at high school. So uh, they've done a nice little mix of getting some transfers, especially in the receiving core. Um, got a couple transfers at tailback as well. So um, taking advantage of what they can, making the jump to Division Two uh, from where they were uh, previously in Division Three, I think certainly allows you to do more things, right, get a couple guys on some partial scholarships and some other things. But I, I think UVA-wise is going to come out and try, especially early, to just see if they can do – basically what ETSU did against Vanderbilt, get that early success, pick up some mental wins, right? I mean, 3 nothing into the first quarter, you know, maybe a lot of people not really thinking ETSU that's a win for them, and they're thinking, well, it's just a matter of time for Vanderbilt does whatever. But then it just kept grinding on that. I think it will be the same thing for UVA-wise. How will ETSU's offensive line handle that? Will they be able to get the put? If you can push an SEC defensive line around, will they be able to get that same push? Randy Sanders also looking for early success come Saturday. Under the lights of William B. Green Jr. Stadium, 7.30 kickoff, 6 o'clock pregame on the Buccaneers Sports Network. The first 
area that it shows up if you're not ready to play is you'll you'll have misalignments, you'll bust assignments, things like that. If we're getting lined up well, if we're playing with energy, if we're playing with uh, the enthusiasm, but we're not making the, the mental errors, then I'll know we're ready to play. And, and if we're ready to play, then you can take the result. A lot of times those things show up first in the kicking game, no question offensively and defensively. That's what I'll have my eyes on. Of course, Jay, ad nauseum, we've talked about what happened, and I think smartly, Billy Taylor talked about it, Randy Sanders talked about it, we've talked about it at ETSU after they upset their other Power 5 program in program history back in 1987, North Carolina State. They promptly the next week lost to VMI 20-13. to And so to continue that trend and go down that rabbit hole a little bit further, I tracked down what apparently is referred to as a media guide. Are you familiar with this? Very familiar. When I first got in the business, those, those were um, how you got your information. Okay, so apparently this is like a papery-type substance. also feels a little bit plasticky, but there is stats. Um, there are scores. Mm-hmm. It is immediately – they spend all that time putting together, I don't know, 80 pages, whatever, and then as soon as the ball is kicked, it all is obsolete again. Completely irrelevant. Uh, yes. I guess this maybe replaced the Internet before that was a thing. That's my best guess. That day, ETSU did not come ready to play. Now, they were up 10-3 to after the first quarter, but were outscored 17-0 in the middle two quarters, did get a field goal to make it a one-score game at the end, uh, but fell 20-13, to and it's pretty easy to tell what happened that day. Uh, you look at the stats and you look at the numbers and say, okay, you know, they were outrushed 163-138. to Now, that's not drastic. Outpassed VMI. First downs were about the same. Uh, didn't have to punt, and you're thinking, oh, boy, didn't have to punt it, but it was a good offensive day. Well, didn't have to punt because they threw four interceptions. They also lost a fumble, so five turnovers. And if you look back at what ETSU did against Vanderbilt last Saturday, they had the perfect blueprint for success any day of the week versus any level. Really, in any sport, but sticking to football, you don't give the ball away, right? You don't kill yourself with penalties. You play strong defense. You run the ball. You don't make special teams mistakes. Probably Randy Sanders, I, and I hate to sound like Coach Sanders because that's what I feel like I'm coming off as. Here's the, here's the five things that I'm just going to hammer home all the time, and they may seem semi-obvious, but they also are reasons for winning, as he often says. If the reasons for winning change, then I'll start communicating different. I'll start putting the emphasis on different things. Well, you can see looking back that the week after that North Carolina State win, turnovers were the big thing, even though the Bucks were able to run the ball. Uh, they didn't make special teams mistakes. They really weren't allowed to make special teams mistakes because they didn't have to punt. There were a number of things that day. Penalties, 5 for 57. Okay, maybe a little bit more yardage-wise than you'd want, but that still isn't egregiously off the board. ETSU had the blueprint last week. They just need to have that same level of focus coming into this week, and things are going to go fine. I'm almost positive that even if they weren't at the top of their game like they were against Vanderbilt, they probably still would win this game. But what is going to be encouraging to Coach Sanders and all of the fans that are watching is a team that comes out with that same ferocity that they had last week against Vanderbilt, and they have every reason to, right? It's going to be a power-packed atmosphere. Um, it's Heroes Day. Uh, it's the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Now, these aren't things that they should think about, but point being, it's going to be a packed stadium. Fans are going to be really into the game. It's going to be a night of very passionate um, support for ETSU. Uh, and so I think that there's – the possibility, as there always is, that there's a letdown here, but it doesn't seem like this is the type of situation with all of the things going on off the field. The fact that it's a home opener, the fact it's going to be, you know, the first game with full capacity in nearly two years, so on and so forth, doesn't seem like this is the time, especially with the CTSU team, that 
really defensively hasn't let up in a couple of years. They haven't had a letdown because they haven't let up in a couple of years, and when you play that strong a defense, it seems difficult to imagine the UVA-wise team coming in here and upsetting the Buckeyes. I, I think that... Going back to put my media hat in. <laughs> Going back to 1987, the formula right there, what, the five turnovers? Yeah. All, I mean, that, that's, easy. that's an easy way to, you know, Vandy had three. The truth is, though, after the first turnover, the game was basically over, and they forced two turnovers late that didn't affect the game. Right, and so it was basically that. So I think, you know, it's pretty simple what ETSU can do to stumble. Number one, I think Coach brought it up. They don't line up right. They have blown assignments. Guys are running wide open. On the on the ETSU's defense, certainly offensively, uh, people are getting to Tyler Rydell, who did not get sacked against Vanderbilt. There's a bunch of miscommunication. You know, guys aren't really, you know, taking it as seriously as they can. So turnovers would be the second thing. So the lineups, the penalties, the blown assignments, then you get turnovers, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in a dogfight. I mean, ETSU, if you look at it, really has had a hard time really blowing out Lower division teams. They've sure. played, uh, you know, kind of equal to the task. I'm not even talking the first year where they lost a couple. I'm talking about since Green Bay Green. Right. Yeah. You look at all those scores and you don't look at those and go, oh, my goodness, they just wore them out. I mean, it just hadn't happened. So ETSU, I think, needs a game like that to build off that and have a little momentum going into Delaware State. And then, you know, then you're in your eight game conference schedule at Sanford. I mean, you, realistic shot at 3 and 0. Realistic shot that it will be 3 and 0 for Sanford. And a big old game down in uh, huge. Birmingham. Absolutely so. huge. And I think that if this team is what we believe them to be, they will be 3-0. Because Delaware State, in most sports, uh, is not a team that's going to stand in the way of a championship contending side that they go against. Uh, obviously, Division Two UVA-wise. Um, they do a couple of things differently from the first few years of Dane Dameron. I found it interesting to see them go from a more balanced offense, really. They tried to you know, be about 35, 40 plays per run and pass or you know, anything even, depending on how many plays you'd run in a game, uh, depending on the style of game, 30 and 30, 35 and 35, 40 and 40. But over the last two seasons, so really I guess it's only you know, what eight months, they have thrown the ball a ton more. It is very heavy throwing, uh, 356 per game, last year in the spring. Now, they only played, I think it was four games, um, maybe been three games, but then they come out in the opener this year, and again, they put up, what, 336 from Redwine. So, uh, it is a bit different from what Dane Dameron has done. Uh, it hasn't led to a ton more wins. I think they're two and two over these last four during these seasons, but it's also a small sample size. Uh, they think that, again, this receiving core is about as good as it gets around Division Two, and the best that they have had when everyone is healthy. So, um, they're definitely leaning more that way, and I think regardless of what point of the game it is, that's probably what they're going to try to do, which, again, I think is uh, good news for the Bucks. So just stick to your keys, stay focused. You're going to be the better team that night in terms of just stacking up, you know, 11 versus 11. Um, all you got to do is avoid the catastrophic, the uh, atomic bombs, as Steve mm. Forbes said, to go back to a couple of years ago in a different sport. All right, 7.30, kick time, 6 o'clock, pregame show here on the Buccaneer Sports Network, ETSU, and UVA-wise. When we come back, the win that keeps on giving. Right after this time, out there a word from Santa's sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. You'd be amazed to learn what one Tennessee lottery ticket can lead to. For you, it could be lucky, but for others, it could open the door to so much more. With more than $6 billion raised for education, the Tennessee Lottery has proudly funded over 1.5 million scholarships and grants. That means, on average, more than 130,000 Tennesseans every year continue their education just because you played. The Tennessee Education Lottery, game-changing, education-benefiting fun. 
flubs, fail downs more than we do. Something that was like a joke one day has grown into, I think, our favorite segment. If people really knew some of the failed, like, and I'll say this, and we clearly, you have to see the visual, but when I'm sending Mike Gallagher some guy doing a nosedive off a ladder <laughs> into a trampoline that they've replaced a trampoline with barbed wire for no particular reason, yeah. I just, I, you know, yeah. you, you know. That was yesterday, two days ago. Yeah, just, I don't know what's going on. Doesn't do us any good, um, you, you know, on, on a podcast thing. But yeah, I don't know. You know. Well, ETSU was kind of the barbed wire trampoline to Vanderbilt's jump off a ladder on Saturday. And we had in this space a segment that we're going to save for next week. Now, we do have to start doing it at some point because it is kind of time sensitive. But this win does just keep on giving. And I started to notice as the week went along, of course, Monday we did our media blowout of top 20 things, and you had like 10 things too. I thought that's where it would stop. But people kept sending me stuff. You kept sending me stuff. A couple people watched the game. People that I didn't even know knew what ETSU was, but know that I'm here, sent me some stuff. Like, did you see that? Okay, well, we have to do something else to make sure to commemorate this game. And media really has made it easy. Let's start with our first fail. First fail. Uh, Matt Fortuna from The Athletic, or is that Joe Rexroad from The Athletic? And Matt Fortuna just tweeted it. Uh, No, they're both from The Athletic. Great. Uh, This game did bring to mind the debut of the last Vanderbilt coach, Derek Mason, whose 2014 team lost 37-7 to to Temple, which I had Mm -hmm. forgotten, by the way. I mean, that's, that's a beatdown. That's bad. Uh, and Jared Folks would have been a freshman on that team, I believe, in 2014. Uh, and that's exactly where he goes with this. Incredibly, ETSU linebacker Jared Folks, an eighth-year senior, was a true freshman on the Temple team. All Folks does is find more eligibility and ruin Vanderbilt coaching debuts. And he's almost out of eligibility. It's like the I came to, what is it, chew gum and – or Kick butt, that's right. Yeah, I'm I all out of gum. I'm all out of bubble gum. I came to – Chew gum and kick butt, but I'm all out of bubble gum. So that was pretty great from uh, from the athletic. Uh, definitely worthy of a first fail. And Second this fail. is maybe the most mind-numbing fail of them all to me, regardless of if we're talking about our Monday show or our show here today on Thursday. And Joe Rexroad again said there have been quite a few strange reactions to this quote. So to sum it up, Vanderbilt players thought they were going to win over ETSU. Maybe thought it would be easy. Didn't react well when it wasn't. And he's quote tweeting himself. As he was quoting Clark Lee, our favorite head coach from the SEC, or least favorite, depending on how your perspective looks on how we've conveyed everything that he's done over the last week and a half. Lee said, and this was tweeted out uh, September 8th, so that was yesterday morning, quote, it's a bit of a traumatized group, and there was a bit of an expectation that we were going to win Saturday. Okay, okay. You should believe that you are going to win. The expectation should be that you're going to win. I, I'm okay so far with this quote. But then he goes on to say there was an expectation that East Tennessee State was going to cooperate in that regard. Does Clark Lee think that by paying a team $415,000, that is a bribe for them to lose? Because that's kind of how that quote so, reads. So, uh, well, and I've gone back and forth with several people on this. I think... He is speaking for the players in that quote, not for himself, which makes more sense because if he's speaking for himself, I've got nothing. I I have nothing. If he's speaking for the players of like, hey, you know, they thought it was going to be an easy win and they were going to cooperate and lay down because we're the SEC, then I get where he's going with that. And I don't – I haven't seen the whole conversation – of you know where this quote came from and all that, but my just 
my guess to begin with is that he's talking about the players where that and so that's more uh, palatable to me the what that is as opposed to if he is speaking for himself and thinking that they were going to cooperate then it's my that's if our coach say that is mind blowing if he was trying to convey that his team thought that, and then yes, I've tried. You know, we've heard that before. I've tried to tell him we're a pretty good team. They don't believe me. They think it's FCA. I mean, I've, we've seen those quotes before. We've seen that. You know, we, we've matter of fact, we've seen several quotes where a coach before the game has tried to tell his team how good ETSU is, um, specifically in basketball, and then all of a sudden after the game, he's like, "Yeah, I told you. I mean, they were good. But you guys, I don't want you guys weren't listening to me. Not watching tape." So you know, the difference is, I think where Clark Lee didn't even know the name of the opponent, or maybe he's doing the, the – and, of course, he didn't use the word opportunity. Maybe he just does opportunity one, opportunity two, and he doesn't want to say it. But it just seems like if he played Alabama, he would say Alabama at some point. It, it just feels that way. So um, it is a major fail on the players um, for sure. If that's his quote, that's got to be the fail of all time. Maybe a fail Emeritus. on the players. Yeah. Yeah, if if that if that is his if that is his feelings in quotes, you know, and I've gone back and forth, and, and several coaches, you know, once I because I chimed in on it, once several coaches uh, got to me and like, hey, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's talking about the players there. It's like, the, the, and I'm like, look, again, I don't have the whole quote, so the truth is, you're only taking an excerpt of what that conversation was to really get a full context. I think he probably was talking about the players, but just reading it on face value and and just the tongue, just the, the lashing. He has taken across all of college football just brings me great joy. Speaking of a tongue lashing, which I will levy against him here in a couple of moments, before I do that, I will say, when I read it, I was trying to picture how he said it in my head. You know, because I think you kind of have to do that with some of these quotes where, like you said, you only have a small clip of it, just an excerpt. And when I was reading it, I was kind of reading it in the depressed, downtrodden coach bit of a traumatized group right now and there was a bit of an expectation that we were going to win Saturday and then it seems like he maybe took a turn towards like I don't want to call it sarcasm or making light of the situation or just dry humor but well you know and there's an expectation that East Tennessee State was going to cooperate in that regard like not saying that he thought Right. That the team was just going to walk in, stand on the sideline, and watch the Commodores put up 50. But more of a, we thought that we'd be able to exert our influence more. We thought that we were going to be able to do more in this game. And instead of saying that, he tried to be a little cheeky with it and say, you know, we thought East Tennessee State would uh, cooperate in that regard. Almost, again, making light of what happened. And if that's the case... I give him a little bit of leeway, but he also should read the room. This is game one of your tenure. You just repeated something that Vandy fans probably wake up in a cold sweat to still with Derek Mason, a 37-7 loss <laughs> to Temple, and Will with this ETSU loss for probably the next decade. This is not the time on day one to just throw out little fun jabs. You know, If he's talking for the players, okay. I do have an issue, though. You say, oh, well, that's really on the players, then who's their leader? These are not professionals, right? In the NFL, I think there's an expectation of, oh, you know, players take it upon themselves. The head coach shouldn't have to motivate. You're paid millions of dollars to go out here and do this. You're competitive. You're at the top of your field, you know, your profession. You should want to go out and win the game. 
you should want to go out and know what's at stake. You know, you should have full control over that. These are kids. And the head coach's job at the collegiate level, partially, on top of a gazillion other things, is to let, make them understand what they are going up against each week. And I think you hit it on the head. The reason this looks so bad is because of how he's handled the last week and a half. How he wouldn't talk about ETSU leading up to the game, wouldn't even mention their name, seemingly gave them no respect. If he would have gone about this a different way, and quite honestly, if he would have communicated this quote in a different way, I don't think it would be getting all the outrage. But rightfully so, he should be getting the outrage because it is another drastic misstep and a cavalcade of them over the last 10 days. He's had a lot. I mean, there's no doubt. And I think that um, <laughs> it just gets more baffling. Like, when you think it's ended for them, then you just find something else. It is funny because I saw some of the quote tweets and there were Vandy fans saying, boy, it just keeps getting worse. How deep of a hole can this Stop guy Stop talking. <laughs> move on to the next game. Gosh. Well, you need the Belichick, you know. We're yeah. on to Miami or whatever the, yeah. whoever the team was. We're on to Cincinnati. We're on to Cincinnati. We're on to Cincinnati. State. We're going to win Super Bowl. You just don't know. We're on Cincinnati. Oh, third <laughs> fail. This is from your dad. I love this. I love when your dad hops that out. pops. <laughs> I love it. Shout out to Mr. Sandoz. He passed along these quotes from a Tennessean article, and the Tennessean did not do any favors to Vanderbilt either. Quote, ETSU looked hungrier, faster, stronger, more physical. It's not necessarily that the Commodores didn't fight. It's that they weren't good enough when they did. Love that, but the second one's even better. These Commodores are nowhere near capable of seriously competing in the sports best league. They'd probably have trouble in the Southern Conference. Yeah, they would. Yeah, they would. What would Vanderbilt's record in the Southern Conference be? It would be nine conference games then because you'd have to, you know, sure, yeah, yeah, you'd have yeah. nine. So think about it in that sense. Would they be above 500? Five wins or more in the Southern Conference? Three and six. <laughs> you love a hot take. You love a hot take. Three and six. Oh, baby. Three and six. Oh, baby. Bonus fail too that I'm not very excited about. Uh, you love the college football bottom ten. I do. I, know you I absolutely do. I saw this one and absolutely had to make sure to deep dive into it. Number one, and keep in mind that would actually be number one. Are there 130 teams now? And like 133 or something. Yeah. So number one would be number 133 or 130 or whatever at the bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, these are reverse rankings, right? Bottom ten. Number one is bad. Uh, UConn, or as they say, you can't. Mm-hmm, at mm-hmm. 0-2 is number one. More on that at the end of this, but go ahead. Yeah, UMass instead of UMass, mm-hmm. uh, 0-1. Mm-hmm. Woo, Mexico State. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's like a whoo, although I'm sure there's not too many wipings of the brow and size of relief. Well, they play New Mexico this week. It's a big rivalry. They're 0-2. Uh, boiling Green rather than mm. Bowling Green. You know, they, they kept it close to Tennessee for that first half. I was licking my chops because, you know, I think the Tennessee's going to win three games or less this year. Licking my chops. Already one down. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, hashtag go ACC every ranked ACC team. Wow, that is uh, that is savage. Clemson, North Carolina, Miami lost, and another four teams: Duke, Georgia Tech, Florida State, and Louisville either lost games they shouldn't have, had a would-be upset slip through their fingers, or had half the roster ejected for targeting. That's pretty good. So the ACC is number five, and then the Vanderbilt commode doors. They split it up. <laughs> commode doors. <laughs> Vanderbilt which is scheduled uh, to face the team formerly coached by an infamously cranky Randy Edsall on October 2nd. Yeah, lost the total F- fight of the year. Lost to FCS School East Tennessee State, a.k.a. the team currently coached by a famously nice Randy, that being Sanders. He is a nice guy. 
Mm. But they're number six. Then the Temple Bowels. Wow, that is just oh, man. Uh, the Acrimonious, number eight. So that's pretty good. Old Duh Minions, number nine. And the Kansas Nayhawks, who I'll be interested to see how they fare against a team in Coastal Carolina who they are projected to lose by 25 points. So I, I love 25-point dogs the Power Five. That Vanderbilt and Connecticut have already had this game scheduled for many years. October 2nd will be the pull of fight of the century. It's already been called up by several national media. And I'm still amazed that the line continues to climb in the battle of teams that lost to FCS teams as Colorado State continues to be. Now it's like a seven-point favorite over Vanderbilt. So there's your bottom ten, Vanderbilt. Yeah, what's our bonus again? Bonus fail. The Bucs have secured their first victory of the year. What? We know it won't be their last. Next week, the Blue and Gold are back in action as Delaware oh, State no. what? Johnson oh, City. No. What? Bucks doing battle on the gridiron. Oh, no. What? I cap. 7.30 kick with Jay Sandos and crew beginning their 90-minute You got a promo. Oh, no. At 6 p.m. Predicting one and one before the season starts. Okay, peek behind Kinda the curtain. Pro, here. Yeah. Okay. Peek behind the curtain. Okay. Get, give me this. I know people will be shocked, but those promos you hear after the game, right after they're over, it's not me live in studio. It would be impossible for me to be because I'm basically never here at the end of a game outside of away games. And to be fair to me, it was early August. I wanted to get ahead, right? You know, trying to be a good worker. And uh, you look at the schedule. You haven't given deep into. The matchups, and you look at Vanderbilt and you say, hey, I think it's going to be competitive, but, you know, it's probably going to be a loss. I did more research, and clearly you heard Jay Sandoz one week ago. I was all on board. I thought that this was going to be ETSU, you know, 17, Vanderbilt 14, not 23 to 3, but I thought that the box could go and pull the upset. But one month ago, I cut a promo for after this coming game, UVA-wise. And thankfully you caught it because this would have run if you didn't do great work to listen to the promo to make sure I didn't say anything I can't stupid. And I did, predicting ETSU would lose to Vanderbilt. And as you heard there, let's just listen one more time. The Bucs have secured their first victory, victory of, the year. of the year. That would have run and right Delaware State after, is coming on. That would have run right <laughs> after the UVA Wise game. And uh, I think the promo that I've redone is testing fate again because I think I say right after the game, the Bucs are you still do. perfect. It doesn't matter the level. It doesn't matter the conference. The Bucs are still perfect. And they've got Delaware State next week. So. You I'm still living on the edge. Okay. This time in favor of the box. I, I'll say this. For Sanders and company. Yeah, generally speaking, if there's a guy that makes a mistake on any of those things, it is me, and Mike has to catch it. So I took. Not, not, I didn't take joy. I just walked in and was like, did you really cut that? with the?" And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did. My office <laughs> is about 20 feet away from the studio, and I just hear you in the studio, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> basically yelling to get me to wow. come in here, and I heard it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That saved you, but yet we have good sense of humor, so we still play it. That's failed out. All right, failed out. Capped by me. Well done. Summer series. That's right. Mystery guest, one of my favorites. All right. Who's our mystery guest? We'll Not find out. You. No. Other side of this timeout, Santa sidekick. Other back of there. Sports Network. For over 75 years, Bright Ridge has powered our community, providing the energy to live, work, and play. And now we're looking ahead, investing in our community today, and building the infrastructure to power our community tomorrow. We're supporting zero-emission electric vehicles, harnessing the sun to provide clean, renewable community energy, and expanding into broadband services for our shared future. Bright Ridge, your community power, here for you.
Mystery Guest Summer Series rolls on. Our least favorite time of year here at the Buccaneer Sports Network is summer. No bucks, no sports, no games to call, no speculation to make. No fun, quite frankly. But there was a bright light this summer, the 2021 edition of the TBT and the Blue and Golds alumni team featuring many of the best Bucks of the last decade plus. The man to lead them, Joe Hughley, former Buck himself, played in Johnson City in the famed 2019-20 season where ETSU won 30 games, now with former Buckhead Steve Forbes at Wake Forest as the director of player relations during the school year. In the summer, head coach of the Buccaneers. Coach Joe, welcome. How you doing, man? I appreciate you having me. Oh, my God. It's always good to talk to you. I know Buck fans are super excited to hear from you, and we're super excited to see all of the success that you had at the TBT. I want to give you a big thanks from all of them because that did give us something to look forward to, and the run the team made was a lot of fun. How was the experience from the inside, and how did it compare to being in a college basketball environment? Uh, it was very much different. I mean, in the, college, in the college basketball world, you have more time to break everything down for the most part and kind of just, you know, go a little slower and kind of get to, you know, put certain things in. I had two weeks for my guys, and uh, that was just kind of you had to go fast-paced in that, in that aspect. But it was great. I mean, the camaraderie was great with those guys. Most of those guys know each other, played with the same team as each other. And, you know, we had Justin Torrio that – played in the same league at the Chattanooga with those guys. So the chemistry was kind of there, just knowing each other and knowing people. You got a couple outside, outsiders that came on the team. But for the most part, you know, that was a big a big thing for our group this summer was to gain that camaraderie, that trust, and learning how to play with each other. So that's a little different. In, in, in the college world, you get to the summer, you get a fall, then you get, you know, preseason, and then you get to play to build that type of camaraderie. But we didn't get that opportunity. So that would be the biggest difference. And kind of those guys are smart. They play at a high level overseas. And uh, so they kind of been around the game for a long time, can pick up concepts a little quicker than, you know, a freshman coming from high school. So we got to roll down the tracks a little bit faster than, you know, usually in a college setting. So, you know, those are the two differences that we had. But for the most part, I mean, you know, those are the, those are the big obstacles we, you know, had in the summer, just kind of getting the camaraderie playing with each other and also kind of locking on the game plan of how we want to play defensively. To me, such an interesting job you had because of some of the things that you mentioned. A group like this one, people may look from the outside and say, well, I mean, what did Coach have to do? You know, these guys are some of the best that have been around here, but it's almost a little bit trickier to me. It's full of such talent. Did you have to step in and guide them a lot, or was it better to take that minimalist approach, almost like, a, say, a Steve Kerr, right, managing personalities in Golden State and just trying to keep, obviously, the most talented team in the NBA together? Did you almost have to take that approach, let the experienced high-level basketball players define their own roles, or when did you have to step in? It was, see, it's a, different, it's a mixture of both. I mean, this is the difference about the TVT. It's not a regular game. You know what I'm saying? It's a different type of game. And uh, you just had to feel it out as they go. For me, for the most part, um, I was on them hard in practice. I mean, anybody can tell them. You know, we go in the TVT. I talked to some of the coaches there. And they were like, man, we got together three, four days before, five days before the day of. You know, we were together two weeks. You know what I'm saying? And we were together fighting and grinding and battling each other in practice, you know. You know, and it, it was a lot of, you know, managing personalities and making sure, you know, those guys fit, those guys trusted me. One, I had to gain their trust from the start because, you know, you know, they, they, they are older than me, you know what I'm saying? So they had to gain my trust in, in leading those guys and, 
have to go about is just managing personalities. But also, those guys are great dudes, so it wasn't that hard. But everybody wants to win, and everybody's super uber competitive, which I love about those dudes. So it was a lot of, you know, some of Steve Kerr managing personalities, but also kind of coaching them up and letting them know how we want to play, how we want to get, you know, to different actions, how do you want to, you know, what we're looking for down every single time on the floor, and also trusting whoever's hot, let them, you know, feed that guy. You know, in the TBT, you, you know, if one guy gets hot, you know, feed him. Don't try to, you know, be the man just because we're on ESPN or, you know, just because we're, you know, playing against a lot of, front of a lot of people. Like, you know, feed the hot hand. That was a big key. And uh, DeSante had a great game, second game. The first game was Trey Boyd. You know, the last game, it was, you know, a, a somewhat, you know, TJ in the first half. And, you know, so it's kind of just we had to feed the hot hand and trust each other. So that was my biggest message to them, you know, going into the two weeks we had and going into every game is to trust each other and be the tougher team. And I think we did. We lost on a tough buzzer beater, but I get, I get those guys were prepared and, you know, enjoyed playing with each other, and that was the most important key. Trust you keep mentioning, and it's such a poignant point to make because when you have people that are older than you and people that haven't seen you as a coach before, director of player relations is a little bit different than a coach. You haven't necessarily been a head coach before, I don't believe. So for you personally, was this your first time in that much of a leadership role and certainly in a head coach's role? And was it easy to get comfortable with? And even beyond that, You've been around some great coaches over the last few years. Did you lean on a Coach Forbes, a Coach Shea, as you're going through this experience? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely used their, you know, advice, kind of how to go about it. But Coach Forbes let me let me do my thing. He wasn't trying to micromanage me how I should coach those guys. And I, he's, you know, let me do my thing. And, and it's the, you know, it's definitely the big stage I've been on in this in this role. But I, I'm a confident dude. I felt like I could do it. You know, I just, you know, I will learn some things in the way, but. You know, just leadership is who I am. You know, that's what I'm about. You know, I just, I've been a born leader in, in the aspects of things that I've been through in my life and career. You know, it's lead me to have some maturity and, and some, you know, very wise at a young age. So it allowed me to help those guys and them believing in me and to, you know, lead them in the right direction to kind of, you know, go win some games in the TBT. So just the way I talk to those guys, the relationships I have with those guys, one of the biggest things, Coach has always taught me since I've been here, since I'm under him as a player, is relationships. You got to have those relationships to be able to coach your guys. So, you know, I just continue to build relationships with those dudes from when I took the job and said I was going to do it, calling those guys every other week, texting those guys, us in the group chat, you know, going out to lunch and dinner every time we're in, in town. That helped me understand those guys a little bit differently. So it helped me under how to coach those guys when it came on when the fire started to, you know, to happen. So, you know, it definitely was a different role for me, but I was excited about it. I was confident about it. I've been around, I've been around it all my, all my career. So, you know, I had a great assistant coach in LB Williams that helped me guide me in through the TBT, you know, antics of what, you know, is a little different. And he's been in the TBT for five years. So he understands kind of how we should play, how we should guard, what it takes to win it. And I got CP, you know, Courtney Pingram that won it with the Ohio team. So I had a lot of vets that have been in the TBT to understand it. They kind of told me, gave me some advice on how we should probably play. But other than that, it was just about us being tough, you know, connected on defense and just trusting each other on offense. And that was my job to get those guys to believe in that message. And I think those guys did a great job with that. 
maturity is something you talked about a bit, and that's really always jumped off the page when people talk about Joe Hughley, right? You are more mature, well beyond your years than those that you've been beside in college, and when you're you know, in interviews, when you're leading, you can tell that. And you mentioned a born leader. I imagine, though, some of that has come along the way. Can you point at different stages of your career and your basketball journey or just in your life where you think that has excelled for you and why after those moments you have come out the way you have? I mean, one of the biggest things when I went junior college after leaving my freshman year at Rock Force University, um, you know, it kind of was a culture. It was a shock to me because, you know, I went to Division One and then I went to inner city Baltimore, you know, living with five guys, you know, in a one or two bedroom apartment, you know, in the inner city of Baltimore and then figuring out, you know, what, what side of things that I want to follow on to at the end of that year. I had one year to get right, to get back to the Division One level, to get a 3.4, I mean, 3.0 each semester to continue to qualify to get back to Division One, and I had one year to do it. So what are you going to do, Joe? You know, back of my back was against the wall. I didn't know what, you know, I was kind of in between of what I wanted to do. And then, you know, disciplining myself and, you know, you know, I didn't have a lot of people there to kind of, you know, walk, hold my hand through it. So I had to grow up fast and, you know, take on a lot of different, you know, know you know things that happened in my life at that time I think the JUCO going from division one to JUCO and the JUCO that I went to and then able to get myself back to division one level it was one of the biggest turning points for me of just self-disciplining myself and you know understanding that I got to take control of my own destiny and everything I do on a day-to-day basis so that was a big step for me of maturing fast and when I got back to division one I appreciated it a little bit more because when I was in JUCO I didn't have the the meal plans. I didn't have, you know, the tutors, the study coaches, and all these other things under the sun. So I took that. I didn't take those things for granted, and I appreciated that. So when I see young dudes come in, that taking that stuff for granted, I can tell my story a little bit. Like, look, you know, it's not always like this and everywhere you go. So that kind of gave me a good perspective on life and a perspective on, you know, just college basketball and let me appreciate it a little bit more and humble myself a lot coming from, you know, I think the top of the pinnacle of a lot of high school kids that want to play Division One, and then going down to, the, you know, a JUCO that didn't have a lot of resources that kind of I had to, you know, figure it out, you know what I'm saying? So that was, that was a big turning point in my career, you know, for sure, you know, to help me be the man and person I am today, without a, without a doubt. You've unquestionably flipped a negative to a positive. And speaking from a negative to a positive, I gotta have a little bit of fun with you here. How did you get to be the coach of the TBT team before we talk about Wake Forest? Was that your choice? Because if I'm here in the conversation and we're talking about the TBT and I'm Joe Hughley, I'm sitting down with everybody and saying, "Hey, this is great. I'm excited to ball with you guys." And if the feedback was, "Actually, we're thinking those legs might not make it up and down the court anymore," what do you think about being the coach? I may have been a little insulted, Joe. <laughs> no, 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 I wasn't insulted at all. I, they, they knew I, my, my, my shoes were on the. Cable wires. I'm, I'm <laughs> <saying>. so, <laughs> they knew. They knew. Understood that I was. I was. I'm happy to retire. So you know, and I'm over here at Wake Forest, and you know, I didn't have any 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 field wanting to go play at all. I mean, I am a full hundred and two feet in in this in this coaching business. So you know, I, how it came about was I heard about it. Um, you know, Dylan talking about maybe if he wanted me to do it. So he, Dylan talked to a lot of people about who he thought he should coach the team and then kept bringing my name up. 
And this is before me and Dylan even spoke. I just heard other people reaching out to me about, hey, Dylan's, you know, seeing if you want to coach. And I was like, ah, I think about it. You know, I don't know if I can be stepping the time out here awake and if Coach Forbes is going to, you know, approve that because, you know, I have, a, I have a pretty big role over here. So me being at the office for that long is, you know, it won't be great. So, you know, so then I talked to, you know, Coach about it, just it was on the table before I even talked to Dylan. And then Dylan finally called me and said, hey, Joe, man, do it is all yours everybody i talked to said you're the guy for the job so i said well you know i talked to coach and coach gave me the okay and i said i'll do it and he said man i'm excited and dylan said you know after the tpt man he was just excited he said joe we got running back next year <laughs> i said uh we'll see about that but you know <laughs> definitely definitely something that uh you know just came about just word of mouth and dylan kind of just made the call to me and said hey joe yeah, I went a lot of different angles, and everybody tells me to call you. So I think you're the man. Think about it. I don't. I never met Dylan in person. You know, I knew of him. He's very good friends with Christopher Forbes, and you know, we I know of Dylan. We talked, but I never met him in person. So like, you know, that kind of kind of surprised me that he called me because I was just like, man, I never really talked to Dylan like that. So it kind of told me a lot of people would put my name in their mouth. So it was a you know, it was a kudos to me. I, I appreciated that. All that being said, you would have filled it up in the TBT, right? Yeah, oh yeah, I got buckets. You know, <laughs> I'm a fucking getter, dog. You know that. <laughs> no question you know, about it. I tell people all the time, man. Coach <laughs> always makes fun of me that I never passed the ball. Every time I touched it, I shot it. Well, that's what I would have did in the TBT. <laughs> <laughs> I love a man with some self-awareness. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm self-aware, very self-aware. <laughs> I know I got buckets, so I wouldn't try to trip about it. <laughs> All right, Joe, shifting gears, uh, what's it like to be away? Because we haven't talked to you since you took that job. You're surrounded by plenty of familiar faces. I imagine that's made the transition pretty easy for you. Results-wise, it was obviously a tough year last season, but I'm not sure there's a soul that knows the coaching staff there, yourself included, that doesn't think there's better times ahead. Oh, man. Oh, man. It's been great being here. It's a, it's a blessing. Like, you know, how I even came about being here in the pandemic and Coach just trusting me with this opportunity is, you know, it's big time. So I've enjoyed every day I wake up. I get, I'm right now, I'm in the t-shirts and some sweats and some, you know, some tennis shoes. You know, I get to be comfortable every day. I walk into work. So that's a big plus and be able to work with great people and great minds of the game that have been around the game for a long time. So it's been a great opportunity for me. And we have, you know, we're very excited about our team this year. We think we can do big things. We've got to continue to keep working and keep putting the time in and punching the clock every day. But, uh, excited about our team um you know our guys are looking good they're in the, they're in the gym all the time there's some gym rats can never get them out the gym you know we have a really good group you know just you know personality wise and definitely you know camaraderie and you know togetherness these guys really like each other so i'm excited about this year i'm excited about my role in this in, in the whole operation so it's, it's been great i love being here it's definitely a phenomenal opportunity to be, you know, a coach here in the ACC. I'd be remiss. Fans wouldn't let me hear the end of it if I didn't ask how a couple of former ETSU stars are progressing. <laughs> Davian Williamson, everyone here loved his game, ended up leading your team in minutes, scoring steals and assists last year. As a matter of fact, Amari Monsanto, redshirted your graduate year, but had a great first season on the court last year here at ETSU, now also a Demon Deacon. What's the outlook for this season for those two? 
I mean, those guys, those guys are great. I mean, you know, the personalities are awesome. Davian, like Coach said, you know, like a couple weeks ago, he's probably had the best, one of the best summers, you know, I've ever seen. I mean, he goes from like, you know, 170, 160 something, 169 or something like that to the end of the season he was. And now he's like 184, you know, so he's gained so much weight, so much muscle. The muscle is giving him confidence. He shot the living piss out the ball in the summer, like 53% from the field and like like 50-something from, like from the three and like 55 from the field. Like he shot something crazy. It's one of those numbers. Don't quote me on it. But he, he, he's looking great. I mean, he's in great shape. Uh, I mean, the weight didn't slow him down. He's still just as fast, as quick. And he's just now just stronger. So I'm, I think he's going to have a big time year. You know, Demario Monsanto. You know, he had a big, he had an injury in the summer that he's rehabbing it from right now. So he's rehabbing pretty strong. He's looking pretty good. And you know, I'm, 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 I'm confident this guy's going to, you know, have a great career here. I wait for, I wait for us. That's awesome to hear, Joe. It's great to hear from you. You had a great summer. I know there's a great year ahead and many great things ahead for you over your coaching journey. Thank you so much for the time. It's great to catch up with you. Yeah, no doubt, man. I appreciate you having me on, and, you know, looking forward to seeing you soon, man. That's Coach Joe, Joe Hughley on Santos the Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Shohei Otani. I don't know if you heard this yet. He's going to pitch and hit. Mark it down. Plus 10 area. Hit a buck 20 max. Fuck it. There's not a soul that can stop the big three in New Jersey. That's in five, baby. Fuck it. to scuff the drive. <laughs> Did you get uh, Damari Monsanto update from Joe Hughley? That was cool, huh? Hear from Joe. Such a good dude. I know you love do Joe. Love, I do He's love Joe. such a phenomenal individual. Big game Joe, right? Big game Joe. Willie Hunt? Yes, he will. Yeah. That was a phenomenal was, call. Yeah. I enjoyed that. Thank you to Joe Hughley, and thank you to Jay Sandoz for not getting his bold prediction right last week because I didn't get mine either. So both of us have zero bold predict- predictions correct, though, to be fair. We only made one last week that was immediate. Everything else was long term. True. This week, all immediate. So I'm going to defer to you, or are you actually going to I know, man. I can go. go I'm going to go Tyler Roddell will have a career-high 250 yards passing three touchdowns. His his previous career-high is 207 and two touchdowns. Wow. Going so 250 and three. Yes. Uh, I'm going to the record book as well. For the first time since football has been back, the Bucks break 50. At 48 against Shorter in 2019, 45 against Western Carolina and Gardner-Webb in 2018, 42 against Warner. And Kentucky Wesleyan in their inaugural year of 2015. As far as I can see, Jay Sandos, that's the only times that ETSU have broken 40. They're going more than half a hundred, 50 or more, against UVA West. Well, the SOCON was the talk of the town, except Chattanooga. Uh, as for how they <laughs> performed last week, I think it'll be that way again. Now, uh, I'm going to take out, obviously, Mercer's at Alabama, Western Carolina's at Oklahoma, VMI Kent State's a 
pretty decent game, but still FBS. The FCS. Golden Flashes. I'm going to go with the FCS versus FCS. So that's Citadel versus Charleston Southern, Furman at Tennessee Tech, Chattanooga at North Alabama, Sanford at UT Martin. All four of those teams win by double digits or more, and three of them on the road. So you have Mercer at Alabama, double digits or better. That's what I heard. That's that's, that's strategically what you heard, but that is not correct. Not part of the bullpen? That is not correct. I watched some college football this past weekend. You should be pretty proud of me. Because, honestly, I don't watch a lot of college football outside of ETSU and the Southern Conference. But I watched the balls. That was a fun first half. Not so much fun in the second half for me. Uh, Watch your Wolverines. That was great. (laughs) That was exceptional. Ronnie Bell had a good day Uh, before he got hurt. I'm sad. He's out for the year. I know. Literally, I texted one of my other Michigan friends and said, Ronnie Bell, this kid is legit. Five minutes later, goes down with a season-ending injury. Uh, so blaming you. You never watch. Now you do it. I must be a curse. Watch the box, and then I watch Notre Dame, too. I did not watch Alabama throttle Miami. I didn't have to to know what happened because Miami is always ranked early based off talent and eventually suck. That's how it's been for almost 20 years now, which leads me to my bold prediction that Appalachian State is headed south and coming back to the mountains with a win. I know you don't like Chattanooga, Appalachian State, any team that has ever been a rival of ETSU. I'm going with the Mountaineers down to Miami. On the road. On the road. I think I only saw they're like a 10-point dog or something, which is shocking to me that they're that close in Vegas' eyes, but also I would be shocked if they do not come away with that W. And they're a better program. So I'm going to go to the West Coast for my sort of upset special. BYU, you know. Yeah, well, sort of, because I'm going to go with BYU was snubbed by the Pac-12 and said, no, we really don't want you in the league. (laughs) Sure. And then we're going to send number uh, 21, Utah, a touchdown favorite to your place. And BYU is going to say, not only am I going to beat you, but then I'm going to go ahead and join the Big 12 me better than you. But I'm, the bold prediction oh. is BYU over Utah. And parlay it to a long-term Big 12 I'm, I'm BYU. Not, not oh. uh, it's week one of the NFL season. Every single game will be separated by single digits. There will not be a blowout. Across the board. Hope springs eternal, so we're going to get the most hyped version of each team this week, plus the matchups are great, which leads me to believe there are exactly zero guaranteed wins out there, I think. As close as it gets to a guaranteed win, and keep in mind, grain of salt here, don't take this to the bank, as we say with all of our predictions oh, here on San Francisco Sidekick. I've, I get, I've, some, a couple of people last year were like, hey, man, check your advice. This is not advice. This, this is not advice. This is not I didn't know I had to put a disclaimer on it. Oh. We I, Check our records. Okay. Have you heard the bumpers? <laughs> Shohei. Oh, Damari Monsanto and Jay Sandoz. Rams over Bears is, I think, the closest thing we got to a guarantee. But I think we thought that, was that two years ago when the Rams opened the season? Or maybe they were a Monday Night Football game or something? And they, they beat a team they should have beaten by, like, 30 by 3. It might have been the Cowboys. Um, might have been the Cardinals. I can't remember who it was. But it should have been way more lopsided than it was. It ended up being. I mean, there's only one. two. Two teams that are favored by a touchdown or more. and that, uh, Bucks, I would assume. Right, Bucks and Dallas, and then you mentioned the Rams-Bears. That is one, too. Okay. That's but it was right at seven. I don't think you know much about Dallas. Dak is back. You know, you've got the weapons on the outside. You oh, got I'm sorry, San Francisco and Detroit, seven and a half as well. So, three. I'm sorry, three. San Francisco and Detroit is seven and a half? Yeah. San Francisco? San Francisco on the, on the road. road. I love Detroit. Whoa. Love Detroit. You, I love Detroit to cover. I don't know if I love them to win more than two games this year, but I think in that case. Anyway, this is not advice. Don't listen to this and say, wow, these guys, as brilliant as they may be about the Bucs, they're even more brilliant when it comes to predicting favorites. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. I mean, you give me the hook in, that, in Detroit. <laughs> Speaking of the hook, he'll be here. Not on the show. But. 
Jacob Townsend will be UVA Wilds broadcasting game. So we're going to talk Monday. We're going to yeah, recap the game. Stuff. We got stuff. Bold prediction recap. All my wins. Okay, maybe Mike's new segments finally. Maybe, maybe the Vanderbilt win will give us more fodder, though, and we might have to stick oh, with that. I don't know. I mean, if Colorado State maybe. beats him by like thirty. Oh. We could we could just do Vanderbilt watch all year. A fail down per quarter. <laughs> oh my gosh, I would love a Vandy watch. We may we may we may do a Vandy watch. Vandy watch. All right, we'll be back with you Monday with another edition of Sandos and the Sidekick. Buccaneers Network. Cowboy up, go play ball.